I've been around long enough to remember hearing that sound many, many times a day and feeling excited when we got to the silent part because it meant that I'd successfully connected to whatever service I was using. I don't know, probably AOL or Prodigy at the blazingly fast speed of 4,800 bits per second. Man, I was living large, but look how times have changed. We get a lot of questions about technology, and one of the most common is about 5G, the latest and greatest wireless or mobile technology that's looming just over the horizon. The pace at which wireless evolves is breathtaking. I mean, it seems like we just got 4G, what most of us call LTE, but here we are. 5G will absolutely be a good thing, and it will get here, but it's going to take a little while. So while we're waiting for it to arrive, let me clarify a few things about what it is and what it isn't. This is the Natural Curiosity Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Steve Shepard. First of all, for those of you who aren't addicted to technology acronyms, it's called 5G because it's recognized as the fifth generation of wireless technology that's come about. Fourth generation is here now and has been for quite some time, but we know it as LTE, which is another acronym that stands for Long-Term Evolution. LTE was a real game changer for both wireless providers and their customers. And why? Because it was built on the assumption that the network that underlies its abilities is based on the Internet Protocol, or IP, which is that set of networking rules that make the global Internet work so well. And second, it's really fast, like Wi-Fi fast. That's why you can stream movies to your phone or play interactive games so well. The problem, though, is that the needs of the market are changing, and they're changing fast. There's a new technology out there that's caught everyone's attention called the Internet of Things. IOT, another acronym for those of you who are collecting them, will redefine connectivity, and as fast as it's growing, it's soon going to take over everything, as in its needs for connectivity will overshadow everything else by an order of magnitude. It's not a surprise that some of the industry consulting firms have in fact renamed it the Internet of Everything. Let me put that into perspective for you. There are about 6 billion mobile phones users in the world today, and most of them, if they haven't already, are upgrading to smartphones. A typical smartphone generates about 30 times the traffic that a basic mobile telephone does. But now we have IoT. And while IoT is just getting started, it will easily require billions of new connections to sensors and machines. How many billions? Well, the current estimates say that we'll have more than 50 billion of these things by 2020. IoT dwarfs mobile telephony. So before we get into 5G, let me give you a quick overview of IoT so that you'll have the context in your head as I go through this explanation. All day long, people do stuff. They wake to an alarm on their phone, they check social media and email and the weather, they go out for a run or they head to the gym, and they drive to work, stopping at their favorite coffee shop for a drink. Once they arrive at work, they badge into their company's building, 
And for the rest of the workday, they move around, attend client meetings, go to lunch, meet friends after work for a drink, perhaps dinner, and finally go home in the evening. On the way home, their driverless cars communicate with each other on the road to ensure proper vehicle separation to avoid accidents. At the same time, patients in hospitals are monitored by a plethora of sensors attached to their bodies, measuring pulse rate, oxygenation and glucose levels, respiration rate, and all those other vitals that are so important. Streetlights respond to the setting sun, turning on at precisely the right moment to ensure public safety and conserve power. After dark settles over the city, the streetlights remain off until they detect motion nearby, at which point they light up. Meanwhile, down the street, digital signage detects the nearby cell phone of a passing musician and instantaneously posts a message that advertises an upcoming concert by a group that the person just happens to love. In a nearby house, a young mom receives a text message on her mobile phone telling her that her sleeping baby's diaper needs to be changed. In the next room, her husband practices his golf swing while a sensor on the head of the club captures all the data about his technique, speed, angle, open versus closed club face, and so on. That data is combined with historical data to show how much his swing has changed based on the lessons he's been taking and how much he has improved relative to his friends, or not. Two blocks over, a neighbor gets a call from her car dealer telling her that her car just called to inform the dealer that her fuel pump is getting wonky and needs to be looked at very soon. Would tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock work for her? Downtown, a shopper enters a consumer electronics store to buy AA batteries, but on the way to the batteries, the person stops to look at video cameras. After finally picking up the batteries, the person stops once again at the video camera area for one last look. Upon reaching the checkout place, their phone buzzes with a text alert, letting them know that all video cameras are on sale, 35% off, for the next 15 minutes only. Now, this may sound like science fiction to you, but everything I just described is happening right now. The things in the Internet of Things are all the sensors that now surround us and that respond to everything we do throughout the day. That exercise band that you wear on your wrist, your smartphone, the tracking devices in your car, your music player, anything that's connected to the web is a thing in the Internet of Things. Those things, these sensors, generate data all day long in response to human activity. That data makes its way to a data center where sophisticated software analyzes it for relevant information and then sends the results off to a decision maker, an executive, a salesperson, or a marketing organization so that they can take some kind of action. What kind of action? Well, lower the price. Order more of those. Show the person that they're lagging behind their friends on steps and better get a move on. Call a nurse to raise that patient's bed to improve respiration. Go get that car fixed. Lock that elbow on your swing. And for heaven's sake, go change that diaper. We call it the Internet of Things because those things have to be connected if they are to have any value. And we just think about it. All that data that these things spew into the environment all day and night has zero value if it can't somehow be transported to the data center for analysis. And that means network. Without a network connection, all the things in the world do nothing for you. And this is where 5G comes in. The number of sensors that are deployed even today at this very early stage in the development of IoT is staggering. Today there are about, and this is a pretty loose number because nobody really knows, but there are about 10 billion sensors out there. That's billion with a B. But by 2020, which ain't that far away, that number goes up 
and it goes way up. So what does this have to do with 5G? Well, a lot as it turns out. Today, mobile devices connect via the cellular network, and to make that work, your phone connects wirelessly to a local antenna that sits on top of a cell tower. We've all seen them. And while the number varies, a typical cell tower can handle, you know, a few hundred connections. But what happens when IoT rears its head and starts vying for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of connections for all those sensors? What happens then? Well, I'll tell you what happens then. In the words of Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters... Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Okay, maybe not all that bad, but we are talking about a data tsunami that's going to overwhelm the existing infrastructure. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that IoT devices don't need a lot of bandwidth. They're not data hogs like streaming video or interactive gaming. They're more like dainty data sippers, but they sip often, which means they need to be connected all the time. And there are an awful lot of little animals sipping at the waterhole. So here's the deal. The most current version of 4G already addresses a lot of the requirements of the Internet of Things. But 5G will address the others, while it will also provide connectivity that is just massive. And we're talking about speeds as high as 10 gigabits per second. That means that 5G will be able to compete bandwidth-wise under the right circumstances with even the fastest connected or wireline services, including a lot of the fiber offerings. 5G will support lots of devices, as in millions or billions, and it's going to allow for really reliable, very low latency communications. This latency, which we sometimes call delay, becomes important when we start to talk about things like driverless cars, because all the cars on the road are going to have to talk with each other while they're moving. And let's face it, it would be a really bad idea to have delay in the communications between two cars' collision avoidance systems. So 5G, in combination with IoT, is extremely exciting stuff. But don't get too excited yet, because we're not there yet. It turns out that not all IoT applications are well-suited for 5G. And why is that? Well, because for any radio application to work, you have to have spectrum available to assign to it. And it has to be unique, unused spectrum so that one application won't stomp on the bandwidth that's already being used by another. Well, 5G, as it turns out, is being designed to operate way, way up in the millimeter wave spectrum, which is an extremely high-frequency band, somewhere up around 60 gigahertz or so. This is important because of plain old physics. It turns out that higher frequencies don't travel anywhere near as far as lower frequencies. They weaken a lot sooner. That's why the first instruments you hear when you attend a parade are the bass drums. They're much lower frequency sounds than the brass instruments. And furthermore, those millimeter wave spectrum elements have a hard time penetrating hard objects like walls or, for that matter, clothing. So if the IoT use case needs the ability to make its way into your pocket, where your brand new 5G phone is, then 5G is probably not the best choice. Now there's also a practical financial consideration here. Millimeter wave spectrum requires cellular providers to deploy a lot more hardware in their operating areas in the form of a denser array of radio-based stations, since the transmissions won't travel as far as traditional cellular signals. This means that they also have to design and deploy smarter networks with better network management between all those new little cells because the architecture just got a heck of a lot more complicated. So what does this really translate to? Well, it's pretty simple, and it makes a lot of sense. 
We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Rather than being a replacement for fourth generation LTE, fifth generation 5G is going to coexist with 4G for a long time to come. And the two technologies will evolve simultaneously side by side. Basically, 4G will provide traditional wide area coverage just like it does today. While 5G will initially be rolled out in selected areas like high-density cities, stadiums, conference centers, amusement parks, shopping areas to guarantee availability of high bandwidth and the ability to support all of those enhanced high-demand applications. Now here's another issue. Maybe it's more of a speed bump. The Spectrum hasn't been auctioned yet for 5G. In the United States, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, which is the regulatory body that handles these kinds of things, has announced plans to allocate spectrum in the 28, 37, and 39 gigahertz ranges for 5G, but we still aren't sure when that's going to happen. Meanwhile, internationally, standards bodies like the Third Generation Partnership Project are working nonstop on standards for 5G that will probably be finalized somewhere around the middle of 2018. We'll see. So here's what we know. As mature and well-developed as it is, the wireless industry keeps coming up with new ways to get more capacity out of the existing spectrum, and that's a good idea. But with IoT looming over us, doubling or even quadrupling the available capacity won't come close to what we're going to need. We're talking about a minimum thousand-fold capacity increase to handle this coming onslaught of demand. So managing what we already have more efficiently is a great idea, but we still need to add a lot more capacity if we're going to meet all the needs that are coming or that are in some cases already here. The good news is that it's easy to find big blocks of unused spectrum at relatively high frequencies like the 60 gigahertz stuff that 5G will ultimately play in. Unfortunately, as we've already said, Signals that operate at those frequencies don't travel very far, and they don't deal with things like corners or horizons very well. And the equipment's expensive. So what we're most likely going to see is that service providers will be given limited temporary rights to share lower frequency bands, you know, down below 6 gigahertz or so, that were allocated years ago and that are being used by other services until their permanent spectrum is available and cost-effective to use. Another thing we're going to see is the deployment of a vast number of small cells, as we just mentioned a few minutes ago. These are going to be cell sites that, frankly, live in your home or your office. I mean, think about it. The original cellular network design was based on the assumption that mobile phones are these big boxy things that live in cars, which means that they needed to cover areas that were traversed by fast-moving vehicles. That's why cells are so large. But when Motorola and others began to roll out pocket-sized phones in the early 90s and mobility evolved to include people walking around, that also opened the door for a network redesign, meaning the introduction of much smaller cells since people don't walk as fast as a car can drive. So if you think about it, you'll come to the conclusion that the wireless network is mostly used by people who are indoors, not out and about in their cars. What this means is that we now need to augment the network to include more indoor cells to guarantee solid indoor coverage. This has the added advantage of decongesting the much larger outdoor cells, which balances the transmission load more effectively because we move traffic from the large cells to the smaller cells. And there's one other little factoid that's worth mentioning here. These indoor cells will most likely be purchased by the customer, not by the service provider which means that a lot of the cost of infrastructure development and deployment is going to shift. It's a sort of a quid pro quo thing. The customer buys and installs the cell, 
which means plugging it into power and a broadband connection for backhaul. In return, the service provider allows the customer to use their licensed spectrum. Everybody wins. So we're almost there. By mid-2018 or so, the third-generation partnership project specifications are going to be more or less complete, and millimeter wave spectrum is going to be combined with spectrum that's down below 6 gigahertz, including all of the currently in-use LTE and Wi-Fi frequencies that can and will be used for things like failover and fallback, and of course, to guarantee universal coverage. The truth is that 5G, when it gets here, is going to be a massive game-changer in terms of bandwidth availability and support for media-rich applications like streaming video and television, interactive gaming, and support for virtual and augmented reality. But don't expect 4G to go away. These two technologies are going to work in concert to guarantee that service is ubiquitous and seamless and rich. And that pretty much covers the waterfront. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for listening.